start saying what I feel God's put on my heart. I want to apologize. I took too long on that thing about uh, R&I. Um, it's, it's my default thing. Uh, I love science. And then when I start explaining something, I didn't have to give you all the examples. I could have just said, watch it. And if you have further questions, ask me. That's the short version. So sorry for that. <laughs> so this morning, I want to talk to us about the Bible, God's Word. And the title of my preach is this, Using the Right Tool for the Job. And uh, if you only remember one thing about this morning, it is that the Bible is the right tool for the job in your life. I had a physics professor uh, in Stellenbosch, and in physics you do like a lot of experiments the whole time, and uh, it takes like a whole afternoon, normally on Friday, if you're a first year, you're watching a little ball going backwards and forwards, but <laughs> and it takes forever. And some of the things you, you like would struggle with to get it done. And the professor used to come to us and say, if you find it hard, you're probably doing it wrong. And if you're struggling to do something, you're probably using the wrong tool. And then you'd go, but this is the tool you gave me. He says, but now you're using the tool wrong. And that to me was a life lesson. My kids would know I would struggle with something and, uh, and they'd go, Dad, is that the right tool? Because <laughs> I taught them that. Um, my wife knows that I've injured myself in the past using the wrong tool for the job. And then you end up pushing a screwdriver through your thumb. Nail. True story. I've done that. <laughs> anyway, have you, have, you, have you tried to loosen a bolt with a screwdriver? I didn't have, I didn't have a wrench, so I tried the screwdriver. Have you ever tried to unscrew a screw with a wrench? Huh? Ask the farmers. They've, they've used the wrong tool for the job because that's the only thing he had. But it was a mess. It's difficult. So the Bible is the right tool. So in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 3, 16 to 17, we see this. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that man so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's you, the man of God. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. It is important that we realize that, that, that scripture is what, that's what it does. So, like any tool, we need to learn how to use it, Right? It's no good I give you a very complicated tool that's like a multi-purpose tool. I forgot my, my Leatherman. I wanted to bring it this morning. I used to walk around with my Leatherman everywhere. Um, and uh, it's like a pocket knife. I don't even have a pocket knife today. <laughs> but a Leatherman is like a multi-tool. It can do multiple things. And you can read the Bible can do multiple things there. But you have to use the right part of the Leatherman to do the right thing. Because in the Leatherman, you've got, a, you've, you've, got a, you've got a screwdriver, you've got a knife, you've got a little file, you've got multiple things. But if you pull out the wrong part of it, although you might have the right tool for it, you're still going to end up making a mess. And the Bible is a bit like that. It's more complicated than a Leatherman, I tell you. 
And you need to learn how to use it. How to use it, how to apply it. And like the Leatherman, I don't have it as an example this morning. And I should have. You should have it on you. Otherwise, I can't show it to you. Huh? There you go. I can't show you the Leatherman because I don't have it with me. And the Bible is similar to that. If you don't have it with you, you won't be able to use it. Luckily, it's a bit more virtual than my Leatherman. So you can memorize it and have it with you. And that's the thing. The process of learning the word of God, we can also call discipleship. That is the process. That is the learning process. Disciples of Jesus is this. You know, we were commanded to, to make disciples, right? We, we looked at that. It says uh, in Matthew 18, 28, 19 to 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So discipleship is, the, the word disciples is, is, is a word for a learner. You guys are all disciples in the school. You're learning. You are students. That's the word for disciple. It's not a, we, we've made it different things. Like, you know, it's Christianese is when we take words and we use them in, 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 in church but they lose their meaning or we actually don't even know what they say. Disciple for me is that one of those words. It's like, you have to go make disciples. Yes, I'm a disciple. I'm making disciples. Are we? Are we? Are we teaching and being taught? Because that's the process. Are we being taught and are we teaching? Is it changing me? Is it transforming who I am? Because that would be discipling. And in a sense... Um, We've got doctors in the house, yes. We call them doctor this and that. We've got some engineers in the congregation. Uh, Michael is an engineer. The interesting thing is they've studied a field of study to the point where we call them doctor or engineer or software developer or teacher, right? And it, it means that they've changed. A little bit. They weren't born to be a, like, they were born to be a doctor maybe, but they weren't born a doctor. It took study. It took assimilating information. It took making it part of them. And actually a little bit of a way of life by now. And so you, you, you can sort of spot people who they are. You speak to Michael and after a while you start wondering, I wonder if he's an engineer. Just the way that he thinks. Like, I went too long on that other thing about tithing because it's my field of study was information. I'm a terrible salesman because I want to tell you everything about the thing instead of selling it to you. <laughs> a salesman doesn't tell you about how the thing works. It just tells you, you can't live without it. This is amazing. You have to have one. And you walk away, you go like, I'm going to buy one. Why? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good salesman. A bad salesman tells you, yeah, it's a great tool, the Leatherman. It's got all these things, and look at how it opens and closes. And it, what it can't do is it can't do, and you go like, I'm not buying it. <laughs> a salesman says, this is amazing. You have to have it with you always. In your time of trouble, it will save you. Right? So this morning, I don't want to get into the intricacies of using the Bible. Right? I want to tell you. It's an awesome tool. 
Don't go without it. Read it. Make it part of who you are. And if you let it change you, if you get enough of the Bible in you, you would be called a Christian. Yes? Or a disciple. And that's, that's the aim. Our aim is that. Now, to do that, um, the important thing is we have to trust it. Side note, before we go to trust, the Bible's not only a tool. It's some other important things as well. So I'm preaching about one thing. I'm not preaching about some other things. So don't sit and say, yeah, but Jesus said it's food. Yes, Jesus said it's food. He said, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that my father spoke. And he was referring to the, to the scripture. So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, right? It is also a lot of other things. You can't live without the word. It's the thing that sustains you and feeds you. But it's also a tool. But to use it, you have to trust it. If I'm going if if to use a pulley to pull up weights, and, uh, and I'm going to walk underneath the thing while I'm pulling it up, I have to trust this thing. Yes? Otherwise, it might break and fall on me. And the Bible is a little bit, before you can use it, you have to, you have to trust it. How would I trust it? Well, I think understanding it a bit might help. What do we have to understand? Well, that it's God's word. So first of all, that verse starts with all. Ruby, if you put that verse back up there. It says, no, it's the previous one. It says all scripture is God breathed. All scripture, no exception. Now, is all scripture applicable to all of us all the time? No. There's some scripture that's about marriage. And if you're not married, well, right now, it doesn't really apply. You could study it because maybe you're going to be married. Or maybe you know married people. So it could be applicable to, to using it when walking a road with other people. But not on you right now. But all scripture, no exception, is God-breathed. That word God-breathed, they didn't have another word. Some translations says inspired by God. That's actually worse. It's, it doesn't actually tell you what it is. God-breathed, I looked it up, the, um, the, uh, the Greek word there is theo, uh, where I did write it. I said to people I can't read anymore because my eyes don't allow me to read it. So when I can't find something in my notes, it's not because I can't read, it's because I really can't see. Was my brill from my optometrist vrouw for my God breathe, there it is. Theoniostis. Theoniostis is the Greek word. And theo is the word for God. Theo, God. And the rest of that word is the same spelling as pneumatic or pneumonia, P-N-E-O, pneumatic. It's called, so it's, it's literally the word means God, theo, or theos, and then breathed or breath. And that's the Greek word that's used there. I think it's the only place where it is used. And so it really is that the hyphenated word there, God, breathe, God. Breathe the scripture into being. It is to be trusted. It is the ultimate authority. You can trust every word of it. Because God 
inspired it. He breathed it. It's the same picture of God creating life in us. It's that process. He made the word alive. Now, in theology, there are different ways of looking how scripture came about. Um, one of it is to say that God made people very clever. I'll tell you some that are wrong. This is a wrong one. <laughs> some people say that some people are really clever, they're incredible linguists like C.S. Lewis, Shakespeare, and others. And because they were that clever, actually God made it possible for them to write these wise words. And today we have the Bible because of man's cleverness. I would not want to live my life according to Hamlet. Right? Or Narnia. The lion will eat you. (laughs) Really it would. (laughs) But not in Narnia. So we've got, it's not true. That's not it. The next one that they say is, well, actually the Holy Spirit sort of came over people. And then robotically they wrote. They didn't know what they were doing. And they woke up the next morning and went, whoa, the Bible. That's also not it. So, so how, how did it work? It's the God-inspired word. So it's written by man, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's how word came about. It's amazing. It's a collaboration. Now, words are quite limited, right? My kids and I, more Michael that's not here. Um, my oldest son here today is Benjamin. <laughs> Last time I left him out of the introduction because he's the middle child. <laughs> but today he's the oldest son, yeah? <laughs> Michael and I had a little moment a couple of weeks ago where we realized we, we were struggling to explain something in Afrikaans because it's got a small, a small uh, vocabulary. And in English, there's probably like something like 50 words for every Afrikaans word. And you could nuance things in English, which you might find difficult. Genade, right? Genade. What is it in English? What is it in English? Mercy. Some say mercy, some say grace. It's actually both. But they're vastly different concepts. Mercy and grace. The mercy and grace of God. Die genade en die genade van God. <laughs> and maybe, maybe us Afrikaans-speaking people are clever enough to figure out what it means in the context. Maybe it's that. We don't need all those words. <laughs> but it is more difficult sometimes to bring across a concept. God limited himself to words to reveal himself to us because of our limited understanding. He limited himself. He, he actually went, I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to write it down for them so they can read about me, so they can learn my ways. And then... Jesus came. Jesus came and it says, and the word was with God and the word became man. Why? Because in Jesus, it was the full revelation of God to the world. And that's the significance of Jesus coming alive as as a human being. He is the word. He is what we read in the Bible. Jesus represented it fully. And now the process comes with us. If we submit ourselves to the process of discipleship, we become more and more like Jesus. Yes? And more and more and more, the world 
can see God revealed in your life. That's God's plan. That's God's plan with the church. God's plan is that we in the church would change according to his scripture, become more and more like him. And the, the marvelous thing is it's you then represent God like Jesus did. Not perfectly like he was, but more and more perfectly. It's an ongoing process. It's God breathed. What does it do? What can we do with it? Well, you could teach a little bit of what I've done now. Greek words, English words, teach. It's all in the head. Hopefully it drops to the heart. And then rebuke, correct. We were talking about that last week. That we could see things in ourselves and in others that might not be right. And that's part of that process. We spoke about that. How do we do that? Like, how do I approach something that I see is wrong? If you, if you missed last week, it will be online this week. You can read, 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 uh, listen to it. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. That's right. Still not online. My fault. Um, but yeah, how do, we, how do we deal with what we see? Correct and rebuke. Um, so rebuking is a bit, you're doing it wrong. Correcting is a little bit more like, wait, this is not in the right spot. Yes, there's a, a nuanced difference. Um, and then training in righteousness. And training in righteousness for me is such a, it's a positive thing. It's like I go to gym to train. I run up the hill yeah, to train. Why? Because I want to be better at something. I can do it already and I'm training. And by doing it again and again, you get better at it. Right? So if you train to play golf, you hit the ball, you see where it goes, and you say, oh, it's going that way. And then uh, Jan, Jan's not here. Then Jan would say, no, Dovi, your feet are wrong and you're not swinging right and stuff. I've started playing. I played once. <laughs> the golfers are laughing at me. They're <laughs> going, sucker. <laughs> But you see, and then you train, and you correct, and you try again, and you, and you train until it's second nature. And whatever you're doing that you're training in is becoming easy to do. And, and when somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night and they say, do this thing, you do it automatically. And that's, that's the process of training. And it's a positive thing. It takes you to do what you can do better. Training. And that's what we can do with Scripture, right? Now, the thing is, uh, Brad, let's go back to Brad. Um, Brad was your apostolic voice into the church on, on Tuesday. Many of us uh, we came to my house and we listened to Brad. He said something incredible. He said, uh, and this goes back to what I said about us and our lives speaking to others. He was talking about typos, right? He said the Greek word typos. And that's in the Bible where you see, um, uh, in, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, you see Paul writing, hold on to the pattern of sound words which you heard from me. That word pattern is typos. And what he's saying is, we should hold on to the pattern, to the typos. And, we should, and then he says, imitate me. And he says, imitate my typos. Imitate me. 
is, is the same word, typos. Why? Well, that's where the word, the word typewriter comes from, the word typos. And when you hit that little key, it makes the letter on the page. And that little key always makes the same letter on the page. It's a typos. Although it's an image creator. And God wants us to be image creators of him. So when somebody comes into contact with you, you reflect Jesus. And they see you as a typos. And you get shaped more and more to be a true reflection of Jesus in your life. We're called to be that, typos. But it takes all of that, all of the teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training to become a typos. It's the, it's the, the, the whole thing of discipleship. is as you are being discipled. Now, all of us should be discipled. And actually, right now, you should be able to think, who's discipling me? Who are you walking with? Who can come up to you and say, correct, rebuke, or, or help you with your training? Who's the guy that's taking you to the golf course and saying, no, your swing, change your swing? Who's that guy for you in your life? Do you have that person in your life? They can, they can look at your life and that you'll trust. Because, you know what, I looked at how, how Jan hits the ball. And what I don't want him to train me in is hitting the, using the driver. Because I haven't seen him hit the ball once without it fading. <laughs> so that, he can't. But on his iron, actually the ball is quite true. Nine out of ten, I was going, oh, if I can hit the ball like that, that would be okay. So I'm looking, and the Bible says that. It says, look at your leaders, look at the outcome of their lives, and follow them. So look at how somebody plays the sport that you want to do. Look at how they, how they do, and then you can listen to them. And you can say, in certain areas I can, and mm, no, he doesn't do that too well. But maybe he still knows how to do it. He's just also in training, so he could give me some good advice. Huh? <laughs> no perfect golfers. But our lives are living examples of God's workmanship. None of us were born perfect. Actually, all of us are being shaped by God. So all of us, don't disqualify yourself. Can you lead somebody to the Lord? Well, if you've accepted God into your heart, if you've given your heart to God, that very next moment you can lead somebody to him. You're qualified. And that is the most important part of the gospel. Yeah, what qualified Jesus so that he can speak into our lives? I'll tell you what, the love he had for us. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's a qualification. And for us, you can have the right tool, but you could use it in the wrong way. And if you use the right tool in the wrong way, you could cause damage to whatever you're working with. And for us, in each other's lives, we have to make sure that we're using the Scripture correctly. And how you use it correctly, the very first, very, very first thing is in love. It says, in the Bible, it says, speak the truth in love. 
I'll add to it and say, if you can't speak it in, in love, don't speak at all. The truth without love hurts. The, the truer the word is that you want to speak, the more love you have to put into it. And it's not fake love, okay? It's not, think of something good I can say about this person. I can't think of anything good. Oh, okay. I'll make something up. It's like, I really like your shoes. Or your hair. <laughs> and then you come with this very hard-hitting part of somebody's life. And you destroy them. And they go, I'm never going to make it. Very careful how we speak into each other's lives. If somebody puts you in the place where you can speak into their life, where you can actually train and equip them, that responsibility becomes very big. Are you reflecting God really well? Make sure. Look at yourself first. Why? Because I don't want to lead anybody into anything of me. Right? That should be our drive here. Is I want to lead you into more of God. Please don't follow me where I'm not following God. Paul says that. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I can say the same thing. Each one of us should be able to say the same thing to every person else. Follow me as I follow Christ. Please don't follow me where I'm not following him. But will you point it out to me? Will you come to me and say, Oh, Davi, there, you're missing God a bit in your life. Because I'm not seeing it. Anything I'm, I'm doing that's not of God, I want to know about it. Because I'd love to correct it. And it's not just sin. Stefan this week spoke into my life. And said something, I'm not going to tell you what, because then you're all going to see it. One, one guy's enough. <laughs> I'm still trying. <laughs> but he spoke into my life and said, Estavia. But I invited him. I said, can you, is there anything in my life? He spent a weekend with me. Is there anything in my life that you see that I can do better? And he goes, there's this one little area. And I'm going to try my best to shape that thing out of me. Why? Because it's going to stand in my way to be a typos. It's going to add something or subtract something of what Jesus wants to do through me in other people's lives. And I can't have it. I have to shape that out of me. And will it take time? I hope not. <laughs> but it normally does. I'm 55. It's taken 55 years to be me. <laughs> Please, God, help. And all of us should be like that. You should encourage it. You should look for it. Find those people in the life of the church that you, that you can see in their lives. And you go like, shape me. Tell me how to do this. What do you see? What can I do better? Invite it in. It's much easier to hear it when you've invited it in. It's not easy to hear it anyway. Even if you invite it. And then when you're the person that's being invited to speak, remember that. Bring it in a very so humble way. Philippians 2 verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement, encouragement being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, hear those words, love, compassion, tenderness, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, 
having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. That's the heart of discipleship. That verse is the heart of, of discipleship. Is regarding others as more important than yourself. Then, then what you bring across to somebody else will be bathed in love. Because you regard that person more important. That's the right way of using the tool. That's the, that's the, that's the trick of getting that tool to do what it needs to do. And that is actually what Jesus did when he died for us. He validated God's word by dying on the cross. He came and showed us that he would serve us. Which is such a weird concept, isn't it? That God came here not to be not to be Pharaoh who thought that he was a God. But God, when he came, he came in a different way. He came as a servant. And he came to lay down his life. And in that sense, Jesus actually considered us more important than himself. That's the example. Surrender yourself. Look for it. Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is good for us. It's there to help us shape one another. We should all, through that, submit ourselves to be disciples and then let ourselves be used by God to disciple others. And I want to, for the congregation, I want to just point out to your community leaders they are men and women that definitely Bernard and I have looked at and seen something in their lives and said, you can follow these guys. They're not just hosts with homes. They're actually people that you can, you can look at their lives. And I would ask them. I do ask them. <laughs> I ask them, what do you see in my life? Bernard leads with me as an elder in the house. He's a man that can be followed. You can ask him, speak into my life. But that's really who we should be, to be discipled. And then walking together, there's that shaping of one another together. It's like, there's also that, right? So you can't say, I'm not a community leader, I can't speak. Because the very first day that you got saved, you can get other people, introduce them to Jesus. But it's pretty good to first sort something out in your own life before you start speaking to others. It's like the alcoholic that goes to the bar to get everybody saved in the bar. And then what would happen? He'd end up drinking every time he gets there. But if you conquer that thing, then you'd be able to testify about your life and you'd probably be wise enough not to do it in a bar. 
That's discipleship. We can disciple people very easily through our own life experiences when we've actually walked into wholeness in those areas. And uh, so don't, don't try and walk people through things that you yourself are struggling with. There you need to find help for other people to help you have breakthrough in that. And there is freedom in God's will for you in every area of our lives. As much as the AA does great work for people that's addicted to alcohol, I'm going to say, you know what, in Christ there's freedom. You do not have to count the days for the rest of your life of how long you have not been attached to an addiction. Somewhere in your life, that process has to end. And you go like, I can't even remember when lost. I had a desire to do something that I was once addicted to. Because that's the Spirit of God. It sets you free completely. There'll be nothing left of anything in your life once God's got done this full work in you. You might be this year this morning and you're going like, well, that's all good and fine, but I don't even, need, I don't even know Jesus. And that's, I want to give you the chance 